you know, I just like certain clothes, like I cannot wear a collar. Um, so it's really common for people with ADD to have a hyper focus on um, a certain task. That's how I remember Casey Finan talking about being ADD. We also talk about why he was reluctant to go into trades because of how trades were portrayed when he was in high school. And though he has become a tradesman, he has not conformed to what was expected of him by society. I really admire Casey's work and that he's just kind of a lone wolf out there in the construction world. You're, you're kind of using all of your senses. You know, you're, you're picking up a two by four and you're, you're feeling its heft and feeling, you know, you're looking at it and seeing the twist in it and you're looking at the grain and you're, um, you know, maybe there's a split in it or a knot or something like that. And you, you know, you can kind of visualize like, oh, you know, if I put a nail there, that that's going to split. You know, you're listening to a lot of things, the smell of, you know, metal after it's been cut with a grinder. Uh, you know, it's just it's very immersive. A lot of times you know what's going on throughout the job site just by the sounds that are going on. You know, I, I, I say to my wife a lot of times, I'm, I'm a locomotive, like it sometimes it takes me a long time to get started. But then, man, once I get started, like I it's hard for me to stop. With construction, the proof is in the pudding. You know, if you did a good job, it's there for everyone to see. You know, if you did a bad job, it's there for everyone to see too. So I was, you know, kind of a C student. Um, I really enjoyed learning, you know, but it just, uh, being a student wasn't wasn't my thing. It was honestly just a little lost. Um, why would you even suggest that to me? You know, like that's, that's what you know, in high school, that's what like kind of the, the burnouts did, you know, that they, they went into, you know, the trade classes and stuff. And, and I, you know, when I told him I was going to be a carpenter, he's like, he kind of laughed at me and even poked fun and was like, oh uh, yeah, if I ever need help with a, a hammer, uh, I'll give you a call. Okay. And, uh, but it was funny then a couple of years later, you know, he was giving me calls like, Hey, can you come fix this? You know, can you come fix that? And so, uh, one thing my dad would always say to me is, uh, you can do anything you want to do. You just can't do everything. I think I started that house in June. Um, so that, that was the first one I documented a lot. That was, so that was with the nonprofit apprenticeship program that I'd started. And I actually like, uh, don't consider myself a flipper. I consider myself a, a rehabber. You, you make money on a house when you buy it, not when you sell it. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's Mike Kinoki. I'm here with a friend of mine who I met on the Hammer app. If you're not familiar with that, he does amazing restoration work. That's what I kind of saw was going on. Uh, we've chatted a bit there. And he's the first and only person to make a monetary contribution to the production of the show on Venmo. And that's not how he got on the show. I actually <laughs> have been wanting to talk to him for a long time. Uh, he did that after the fact. So, so there's no, there was no kickback here. Okay. Okay. So anyway, owner operator of fine and craftsmanship, it's Casey Finan. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for having me. It's so good to be here. I'm excited. I'm excited to have this conversation. So Casey and I have had a, a, a fair amount of interaction on, on hammer uh, talking about other people's work and kind of getting to know each other a little bit and what we're doing. One of the things that came up, Casey told me 
that later in life, he was diagnosed with ADD. I feel like this is a part of our, a major part of our building community. So Casey, what, how did that kind of come about? <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, you know, I think when I was so, so I'm 43 now, uh, you know, when, when I was uh, in high school in, in the nineties, it, it was kind of just starting to become a, a big thing. And, and I think it was even something, uh, you know, being diagnosed with ADD or ADHD. And it, it was something that, um, I don't know, I probably even kind of looked down on a little bit. I was like, oh, these people are just making excuses. Um, but then, you know, much later in life, uh, particularly uh, going through um, just being in therapy, my, my therapist is like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you have ADD. And um, so I've, I've never been like officially diagnosed, but, uh, but, but my therapist, you know, is, is, is pretty convinced of it. My, my wife actually also, um, but it really began to make a lot of sense to me. Um, I, uh, you know, there's, there's, I wasn't ever this like really hyper, you know, kid. Um, but then the more I learned about ADD, the more I learned, like, there's, you know, there's a lot of different parts to it. Um, I definitely realized I had a lot of sensory issues. Um, you know, I just like certain clothes, like I cannot wear a collar. Um, um, you know, certain, like, uh, even like certain physical touch, like really light physical touch, like really, you know, bothers me. And so I think that was part of it. Um, but I've really realized um, in, in my work as a, as a carpenter, um, working in the trades, like just how, um, how good it has been for me, um, how good the, um, you know, the, I, I feel like there's like a million different ways you could go with this, but, um, you know, I think part of the ADD is, is um, you know, it's not that you you know, you might have a attention deficit, you might have a hard time focusing on things, but there's also the, the flip side of it where you have a hyper focus. Um, so it's really common for people with ADD to have a hyper focus on um, a certain task. And that's something, um, but, but it kind of helps if that task changes. And that's, you know, you're defining what it's like to work in the trades. You're, you know, um, at least for me as a, you know, mostly doing remodeling work, it's like, you know, for a week or so you're framing and then you're hanging drywall or, or you know, putting up insulation, then you're hanging drywall, then you're finishing it, then you're painting it, then you're doing floors, then you're doing, um, uh, you know, cabinets and hanging doors and, and just, it's this really great outlet for um, being able to hyper-focus on something to like really give your attention to it, get lost in it. The other aspect of it for me, I think is, is probably a lot of the, the sensory. Like I, I do really well when I get a lot of like heavy sensory input. Um, and like, so carpentry, the trades are great for that. Um, um, the way I've been thinking about it a lot lately is that, uh, like carpentry working on a job site, it's very immersive. You're, you're kind of using all of your senses. You know, you're, you're picking up a two by four and you're, you're feeling it's heft and feeling, you know, you're looking at it and seeing the twist in it and you're looking at the grain and you're, um, you know, maybe there's a split in it or a knot or something like that. And you, you know, you can kind of visualize like, oh, you know, if I put a nail there, that that's going to split. Um, you know, or, oh, like, you know, maybe this one needs to get uh, 
you know, set into the, the pile to get cut up for, you know, for blocking or something. Um, but, uh, you know, the, that then kind of translates even into like the saw, you're cutting it. And, um, you know, as you, as you do it for a while, as you, you know, after you've been doing carpentry for a while, you, you know, there's just a lot in that world that, you know, the way that the, the blade is going to cut through the wood and, the, and what's going to happen to it afterwards. And when is it going to be, uh, you know, that really satisfying, um, you know, just perfect fit. Uh, you know, you're listening to a lot of things. Sometimes the way, you know, you, you're tapping on the drywall to find the stud or, or the way you, you know, are walking on something and you hear something squeak. You're like, well, you know, is that, is that wood on wood or is that a nail on wood? Like what's moving here that that's causing that sound that we want to go away? Um, you know, I've, you know, of course there's a million things to see, um, a lot to feel, um, you know, I think we can all appreciate when, uh, you, you know, you're, I don't know, maybe you're, you're running baseboard or crown or something and, um, you know, you've, you've got it coped and you cut it a little long and you snap it in there and it just makes that really satisfying like snap and, uh, you know, it's just perfectly tight. It looks like it grew there. Um, there's just so much going on on a job site at all the time that, you know, even like the smell of things, the smell of sawdust, the smell of you know, metal after it's been cut with a grinder, uh, you know, it's just it's very immersive. Um, you know, you can hear the other guys working, you can, you know, a lot of times, you know, what's going on throughout the job site just by the sounds that are going on. Um, you know, you can, you know, you can tell the difference between a miter saw and a table saw and a skill saw and a multi-master tool and, um, you know, uh, 18 gauge nailer versus a 16 gauge nailer versus a framing nailer versus a, um, you know, a roofing nailer. And um, there's just always so much going on. And I feel like being ADD, it's very, and like, to me, it's actually like kind of calming. It's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's like almost like having a weighted blanket on where it, it sort of smooths your nerves. And um, yeah, so I, I feel like I could go on with that for a while, but um but I think being, you know, potentially ADD, like those are the things, um, you know, you can just get lost and really focusing on, you know, whatever, whatever it is you happen to be doing. Um, and I think a lot of people with ADD also do actually have like kind of the OCD tendencies too, where it's like, you know, this, you know, we want to have this perfect. We want to have this, you know, and there, there of course are always different, um, <clears throat> you know, tolerances, you know, the tolerance for framing is different than it is for, uh, you know, fine trim work and, and the tolerance for, you know, concrete work is different than the tolerance for, you know, roofing or whatever. But, um, but yeah, so I, I think as far as, you know, it's only been like a year or so since, since I've been, you know, theoretically uh, diagnosed with ADD, but th those are the things that, that I feel like, um, you know, the construction world, is a really great place to work if if those are, are kind of issues you deal with. Did you say something? <laughs> I'm sorry. I get I, I can be a little long-winded there. No, sorry. I was joking because uh, an a, I I I could have disappeared in a in a conversation because I have my focus bounce around a fair amount. Sure. And I was just kind of playing on that. Can I can really relate to the baseboard? comment what no matter what when it snaps in just right and you're just like oh yeah 
Yeah. Like it barely needs a nail. Uh-huh. Like you could almost forget the nail. You could almost forget yeah. the brads. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know everybody or a, a huge percentage of the people listening can relate to the sensory issue of not being able to wear a collar. Uh. <laughs> oh, that made me I, smile. I thought, yeah. no, I can't do it. <laughs> is that, is that the difference? Is that what, is that a big separator that keeps us in the field and keeps other people in the office? It's interesting. Um, yeah, the, the focus issues are, are fascinating. And the, and that hyper-focus, uh, it's almost a soulless sometimes, you know, you just get in that zone and it, it, it's, yeah. you can feel it. And I, I think across trades, probably everybody gets that, that sense of like, when you get in the zone yeah, on what you're doing, it just feels good. Especially when you've built your experience and you're confident in what you're doing. And it's one of those things you love doing and you just take off. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I don't really go running anymore, but in, when I was younger, I, I'd run and, you know, probably just once or twice I hit that, uh, you know, that runner's high where you just, you can just keep running and, and it's, you know, it feels really good. And you don't, you don't even, you know, you don't feel your lungs or your legs burning or anything. It just, you feel like you can run forever and it, it actually like, you know, it's really pleasurable, but I feel like that for me is much easier to attain doing work. And, and it is like, it's, it's, it's tactically pleasurable to, um, you know, to, to get in that zone and to, you know, to be doing work, to be physically making something come to life that, that isn't there. Um, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I say to my wife, a lot of times I'm, I'm a locomotive, like it, sometimes it takes me a long time to get started, but then man, once I get started, like I, hard for me to stop. You know, I just finished this apprenticeship program and, and I just think about like all of the reasons why I love working in the trades, why I love carpentry. You know, it's very tangible. It's very tangible in a lot of ways. There, you know, so so first of all, we're just working in the physical world, you know. Um, I mean, even with like uh, a lot of times in the weather, you know, we're not sitting in, in an office cubicle, you know, kind of with the same view all the time, tapping away on our keyboard, which, you know, obviously is, is worthwhile work. I don't want to denigrate other people's work, but the, the tangibleness of, of our work where, you know, we're in the weather, um, we're working with physical objects that aren't always perfect. Um, you know, we're working with, you know, in my case, a lot of old houses that are, that are very imperfect. You know, there's the product at the end of the day, you know, I started this day and, and, uh, you know, there was, there was nothing here and now there's four walls or, or, you know, whatever the case may be. I, I started this day and, and, uh, you know, there was no roof on this house and now there's a roof. Uh, there were no cabinets and now there are cabinets. And so like at the end of virtually every day, you can walk away and look at what you've done. And, uh, you know, there's a huge, you know, just sense of accomplishment, a sense of, uh, you know, just it's, it's enjoyable. It's pleasurable. It's, um, and then I think like the even like kind of third rail of that would be of the tangibleness of it is, is there's, there's a very uh, discernible, like, is it good or not? You know, um, like, 
does my roof shed water or does it leak? Does, you know, does, do my, do my solder joints on my plumbing, you know, leak or do they hold water? Does, you know, do, do my cabinets stay on the wall or do they fall off? Are they level? Are they plumb? You know, do, does, does the door swing nice and, and, you know, close tightly and, uh, you know, do, do I have to, do I have to lift the doorknob up to, to open the door or does it, you know, does it, does it work nicely? Like there's just, they're very tangible and like, uh, you know, with construction, the proof is in the pudding. You know, if you did a good job, it's there for everyone to see, you know, if you did a bad job, it's there for everyone to see too. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think a lot of people can relate on what you're saying about the tangibility being in the, being in the field. And, you know, I don't think, I just want to point out, I don't think you're denigrating someone who does go to an office. It's just not for everyone. The tangibility of the four walls at the end of the day and the cabinets up is something I can also relate to. And anybody out there can probably relate to in terms of, of end of the day, your joints are soldered. You can, you've done your, you've done your pressure yeah. test your pressure tests you've done, you got your cabinets up, whatever it is. And I think part of it for anybody who's taken a leap out of their previous career, like for me, uh, I was going to be a biologist. And what, one thing that I didn't, I, I loved solving problems because it's tons of problem solving because yeah. you're going out in the world and trying to figure out how things interact. But what was probably my biggest struggle with it is that every time you came up with an answer, it just led to more questions. And, <laughs> and, and the way my mind works, I just race with questions and I, and I want to solve it now. It, when I build, I can solve it now. Yeah. And it, yeah. It, it's, 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 it's almost therapy for the way my brain works, which might be because I'm ADD. It might be whatever, whatever undiagnosed thing I've got going on. <laughs> I know it helps you know? So, so Casey, tell us how you got started in the trades. Um, yeah, great question. So I, after high school, so I was, you know, kind of a C student, um, you know, actually, you know, scored really high on my like ACTs and stuff like that, but was never a terribly motivated student. I really enjoyed learning, you know, but it just, uh, being a student wasn't, wasn't my thing. Um, that kind of continued, you know, I went to community college uh, for a couple of years and it was honestly just a little lost. Um, you know, I was kind of bouncing around taking different classes. I thought I would, uh, um, you know, I thought maybe I'd be like a high school history teacher or something like that. Um, but then, you know, truth be told, I actually had like kind of a, I don't know what you'd call it, like a uh, religious experience maybe. And, um, and I just, decided that I wanted to commit my life to um, working with and amongst the poor um, in some way or another. And, and it just struck me that uh, being a carpenter would be this, you know, I had this very, uh, you know, young idealized sense of what this would all look like. But, um, but yeah, just kind of on a whim was like, oh, I should be a carpenter. Um, you know, I, I remembered like a year or two before my, my mom had actually said something along the lines, like, do you ever consider a trade? And, and, you know, I, I really was like, what, why would you even suggest that to me? You know, like that's, that's what, you know, in high school, that's what like kind of the, the burnouts did, you know, that they, they went into, you know, the trade classes and stuff. And, 
you know, what we had, it was, it was the people who couldn't hack it and, you know, with like real, you know, real ideas and real thoughts. And um, so I kind of had this, you know, negative, you know, thought about it, but then, but then I decided to go into it and I had a friend who worked for a small contractor and um, I started working with, with them and, um, you know, I got a lot of kind of even pushback from people. Uh, the, the phrase that, that I heard a lot was, you know, when people would ask what I was doing, like, you know, I'm, I'm learning to become a carpenter. They'd, they'd be like, oh, that's okay too. You know, as though, you know, like, you mm. know, if I decided, you know, I'm, I'm becoming a lawyer or something like that, it'd be like, oh, that's great. You know, so, so I got a lot of the, oh, that's okay too. Um, but, you know, like I said earlier, it, it just, it fit with me very shortly after I started it, you know, it, it had always been construction, um, you know, carpentry, it, it had been this kind of, you know, it was almost witchcraft, like, I, I don't know, you know, people can do this, but it's some mystical, uh, you know, thing that these very wizened people do to create these beautiful buildings or beautiful, um, you know, like, I didn't know, I, I probably never picked up a saw in my life at 21 years old. And, um, but I started working and, and I just fell into it and I very quickly fell in love with it. I just wanted to learn more and more. And, um, you know, the company that I worked for was, uh, you know, it was a small contractor. We did a lot of additions, kitchen, bathroom remodel, that kind of thing. But it was kind of, a, it was actually a really good place in some ways in that we did everything. I mean, we, you know, we, we were doing an addition, we, we built our own forms, uh, you know, and then we'd frame it and we'd drywalled ourselves, we'd run our own electric, you know, we'd kind of do everything. We did a lot of roofs, um, you know, we did, I remember doing a couple of driveways. I mean, it was just, it was good for me in that sense that, that like, I learned a lot of different things. Um, and, and going back to uh, that period when you were at community college and, and kind of lost and, and then told people you were training to be a carpenter. Mm -hmm. And you were met more with some lukewarm responses. Did that make you doubt yourself? Um, I don't think so. I think like, I mean, I've always been a very confident person and um, no, I think, and I've always been a little contrarian too. So, um, Carpenter. you know, I, I probably had, I probably had some pithy comebacks for them, you know, like, oh, oh, thank you for your approval, you know? Uh, um, I'm so glad that, that, that that's okay too. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and some people, I don't know, I think at the beginning, you know, the, the groups of people I hung out with were a lot of, you know, in college, I hung out with a lot of, a lot of people who were going into business and going into teaching, going into social work, going into, you know, I mean, I had friends who became chemical engineers and, uh, you know, most people, most of my friends became, you know, professionals, you know, through degrees and stuff like that. Um, but, but we are professionals too. Well, right. Right. You know, it's actually funny. I remember one guy in particular who was, you know, he was a, a big <clears throat> computer guy. And I, you know, when I told him I was going to be a carpenter, he's like, he kind of laughed at me and even poked fun and was like, Oh uh, yeah. If I ever need help with a, a hammer, uh, I'll give you a call. Okay. And, uh, but it was funny then a couple of years later, 
you know, he was giving me calls like, hey, can you come fix this? You know, can you come fix that? And so uh, I, I've very, very rarely regretted it. I mean, there, there have been times where I've, you know, one thing my dad would always say to me is, uh, you can do anything you want to do, you just can't do everything. And, and you know, there, there have been times where I'm like, oh, I would have liked to have done this, or that would be really interesting. But that's really the only regrets I've ever had. I've always, you know, I really enjoy, like I've said, I, it, it feels like it's, it's just, it worked really well for me. I, I enjoy it. You know, there are a few things I think I could do that I would enjoy quite as much as what, what I do. So yeah, there was, there was definitely some of that, uh, you know, doubt and like, you know, just didn't seem like what a lot of people would think would be a good, a good thing to do. And I, well, I'm glad you said that because I think that anyone out there that is hearing this and going into trades or in the trades and, and, and has felt that, that it's important that they know that we all have, and, and that you, you can just let, you can blow that off because you're making money and you're happy and you're working with your hands and there's no reason to have that weighing on you. It's kind of a, it's kind of a BS uh, thing in our society, but definitely you can let it go too. Yeah, absolutely. You work for these guys, you're kind of learning all the, all, all the things. That's an awesome place when you're young and, and every day you're getting stuff thrown at you and, and you're going, uh, you have so many questions cause you don't know what you're doing on so many, like you go to concrete and you're like, I actually setting forms and what, and, and you're afraid to ask questions or you're being expected to just inherently know how to do this stuff. And, and there was uh, a lot of that of the, yeah, go, go do this. And it's like, you know, I don't even know what that word means, let alone how to do it. Right. Um, you know, because I didn't have, you know, I, I didn't, you know, some guys kind of grow up in it, but yeah, I had zero. Um, um, and, and the first company I worked for, and actually I would say every company I ever worked for, like, I don't think I ever worked for any company that was terribly interested in, in teaching me, you know? So if I, whatever, mm. um, you know, particularly that first company, like, the, the guy wanted a laborer to make him faster, you know? So, I, I mean, I learned a lot by being there um, and, and eventually did, you know, let me take on a little bit more responsibility, but, um, you know, mostly he just wanted to be faster. So, um, you know, so it was, it was a great place in that um, we did a, a really wide range of work. Um, so I, you know, got a little bit of experience doing a lot of different things, but, but yeah, as far as being taught, like there was just, you know, there was, there was really no teaching going on, you know, it, it might show me I'm going to do something kind of once, but you know, a lot of, a lot of the learning came, you know, just through, I, re I read a lot. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. And that's a, that's a, that's a theme in the show for the season that is coming on and, you know, something I didn't, I didn't really think about on my own. I mean, I just, have gone through life and I, because I'm very independent, I just, I just blow whatever off and just keep going straight ahead. And, and that's my life. But, you know, when Gina Hoyt came on the show, she talked about that people aren't teaching and I didn't really think about it, but yeah, I, just like you said, I, they weren't really interested in teaching me when I started. Yeah. And, 
And uh, one of the episodes that is, well, it, by the time this comes out, it's out. Because um, <laughs> I just edited it yesterday, uh, is with Ella Starr. And she said, it's kind of on you. It's kind of on the person who's in the apprenticeship program or um, on-job training. If you're not getting what you need at work, you kind of have to take it upon yourself to learn it. Reflect on that um, now that I've had the conversation that, I completely followed that in, in a sense, because I just started building my own places. I right. didn't like, I was like, wait a minute, I can buy land and build a house. I don't <laughs> need to, I don't need to come here. And I still needed money to build the house. Absolutely. Yeah. But I saw, I saw something right then. And, and I, cause I wasn't getting the training I needed and I was buying books and learning that way on my own. And I think you have a similar, um, from my my yeah no, absolutely and, and i feel like it's it's the way the industry works which is i think you know unfortunate um but yeah i i there was uh you know before hammer before instagram before you know all of this stuff there was uh there was a chat room uh you know i don't know if that even still a thing anymore but uh a chat room that uh, fine home building magazine uh had called break time and I would just lurk on there and just read mm -hmm. everything. And there, you know, a, a lot of really clearly very knowledgeable guys. And, um, and then, you know, occasionally I'd start posting stuff and, but, you know, like, I mean, we didn't even post pictures on there because yeah, I think it was a few years before we even could. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like the early two thousands, but um, yeah, I got a, I got a subscription to find home building magazine. I got a subscription to um, journal of light construction and those were, those were my guides. Um, you know, I bought a couple books and stuff, but uh, um, yeah, fine home building. And, and then later uh, journal of like construction, that's like, those are my teachers. I probably learned more through those magazines than I did from any, any one individual um, and, and continue to, um, you know, they're still great. I still like getting my, my paper copies, but you know, you can get them digitally and yeah. Um, Yeah, but then you so, but then you transitioned into doing well and that's actually where I learned a lot too. So, you know, I, I remember, you know, about I don't know, 15, 16 months into into being a carpenter. I had a I had a month where I did a bunch of side work. I I, re, I replaced a, a termite damaged rim joist on on a friend's house. Um, I did I put a new roof on my dad's house, uh, you know, shingles and um, and then I'd, I'd gone up to Chicago to do, to build a little wall and put a door in um, for this ministry up there. And so I did that all in a month. You know, I, th I think I didn't, I think I worked every single day that month, but, but I always think of that as the month that I, you know, officially became a, a carpenter and, and wasn't just a laborer. Um, but yeah, I started taking on a lot of side projects. Um, and then in 2004, I bought my first house you know, a little, it was just a little tiny 900 square foot fixer upper. Um, but, you know, I, you know, I put new tile in the bathroom and, you know, I, I actually, you know, we, we take, uh, you know, I, I put in a bunch of like old fixtures that we'd taken out of other houses, like that actually kind of matched the vintage of the house. Um, you know, so I, so I did it very inexpensively, but, you know, I, you know, patched a hole in the ceiling and repainted it and did some trim and, um, so that was kind of my first foray into, into rehabbing houses. And, mm -hmm. and I, 
think I bought that house for 50,000. I sold it for 85 two years later and, you know, but it was all tax-free money and, um, you know, it was, it was great. How much did you put into it? Well, oh yeah, yeah. No, as far as like cost, like I said, I, you know, I really, I think I probably out of my own pocket put less than $2,000 into that house. I, I built a oh. deck on the back, which I remember was like $900, which was, you know, about the most money I'd ever forked over it once in my life at that point. Yeah. I built a little deck on the back of it and yeah, but it was like, and, and I bought some paint, but you know, I was, you know, working at the construction company, like I, like I tiled the bathroom with like tile that was left over from a job that, um, you know, that, that particular boss was pretty bad, like at landfilling everything, um, you know, just leftover stuff, pitch it, you know? And, and so I, like I was, a, I'd always save it. And so, um, you know, and, and then stuff that we took out a lot of times was, you know, it was perfectly good stuff and I'd just reuse it um, rather than, you know, land it in a landfill somewhere. I have a, I have a strict policy now though. If I keep something, which I don't keep it nearly as much as I used to, if it's around, <laughs> if it's for around, around for more than a year, it's gotta go. Yeah, that's a that's a good policy. It's, it's a slippery a slope. <laughs> I have a lot of yard space. Yeah, so it could get it could it could get out of hand. Yeah, I I probably do a big cleanup every now and again. But what I've actually started doing is uh, there's a couple of really good resale shops. Um, mm. I, you know what I do now is I I mostly rehab older houses. You know stuff that's 100 to 100 and you know 30 40 years old. Yeah, so I donate a lot of stuff to those places, and then I I don't have to hold it. You know they do good work. It doesn't end up in a landfill, and then you know later on when I when I need a few feet of of some particular molding that you know is not <laughs> you know I can't just go to Home Depot and buy it. Uh, you know they're a great they're a great resource for that kind of thing. I was just, in fact, the, the last house I just rehabbed, the one that uh, I posted a lot on Hammer, you know, there was a beautiful uh, walnut handrail that went, you know, from the first floor and then turned and went up to the second floor and then, you know, kind of wrapped around. And, and I had the majority of it, but I was missing, you know, one of the turns and then mm -hmm. about 30. I saw, I saw this. Yeah. So, um, you know, and so I went to a place called Refab and, and they do actually a lot of great work besides salvaging a lot of, you know, cool old stuff. They also, um, they employ a lot of, uh, you know, former convicts and stuff that, uh, you know, give them jobs and they've got like a, a woodworking shop. And so they're, you know, they're trying to do a lot of good work. And um, um, then there's another guy who, you Did know, you find any, did you get any advice on Hammer on that? Did I, did you interact with people on that? Yeah. So, yeah. So Naya, uh, I, I hope I'm pronouncing her last name, you know, she, she does a ton of finishing uh, furniture and stuff. And so, you know, what I would have really liked to see, so yeah, I, I kind of posted, and I was like, Hey, what, what would you use to, to patch this? You know, if it were going to get, um, you know, if I don't have a big chunk of walnut to, um, to redo this and, and so, yeah, she gave me a great product to use an epoxy that, that kind of matches. And, you know, unfortunately that railing was just getting painted, but I really like to do things to where like, if somebody wanted to strip it down, you know, mm. and re redo it, you know, restain it in the walnut, then they'd be able to. So you got into flipping houses. And, right, right. And so, and so one of the things that an observation that I have as a 
general contractor who's built spec houses. I've never actually flipped a house. Um, but I see most flips where I live as being like the bare minimum. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, like minimum input, maximum uh -huh. profit. And, and, and for everybody out there, you can only see cases work on hammer, but it's super detail oriented. And he, you could demo out a lot of the, the traditional classic work that's there. Um, the historic work and just replace it with something simple and flat and dimensional. You don't, and you put a lot of time into that work and it's, it's impressive. And why? <laughs> Thank you, Mike. I, I really appreciate it. And, and it's funny because on that, that particular house on hammer that you see that I, you know, I joined hammer like a year ago and I think I started that house in June. Um, so that, that was the first one I documented a lot. That was, so that was with the nonprofit apprenticeship program that I'd started. And like, I was always wanting to do more, save more, you know, do it more historically accurate. And, you know, I just, you know, I got, I got the, you know, I, I got turned down, shut down on that. You know, the, the ones that I'm, that I've largely done, I've, I've actually been, you know, I'm kind of one of these guys that like, uh, likes old cars, right? So I like old houses. And so, you know, uh, I try, I do try to match the, the historic trims and rebuild things how they were. And, and I've actually even had a couple of, you know, real estate agents who have been like, oh, you need to do this more modern. And I'm like, oh, but I hate modern. <laughs> mm. I mean, it's great if you like it, but it's just not me. And I'm like, oh, we, you know, like, uh, this is so beautiful. Like, the, And every, the home every home has a customer. Every home, no matter what you do, if it's done, there's a person that's going to walk in and love it. Yeah. And so what you were saying there about um, the flippers. So I actually like uh, don't consider myself a flipper. I consider myself a, a rehabber. Um, there've actually been several instances where I have been rehabbing a house right next to a nearly identical house that is getting flipped, you know? And I routinely will sell my house or, or the two times that's happened, you know, I've sold my house, you know, well, well, well above, you know, for the same footprint and everything mm -hmm. uh, with the, the house just, a month or two earlier sold for. So I feel like there are people who, you know, they want that quality. Um, yeah, like you said, there's, there's, there's a buyer. I mean, you have to make money, but, um, but yeah, as far as flipping, like, yeah, I, I actually cringe. I have, I know a couple of guys who do the same thing I do more or less. And, you know, I've even like talked to some of the people who have bought those houses later on, you know, and it's just, I mean, to me, it's heartbreaking when, you know, somebody buys a house and like, man, right. That's supposedly finished. And then, you know, within the first year, they're, you know, doing all this work to it, to, to try to fix some shoddy workmanship. And, and, and you know, it just, it, it kills me. I see a ton of it and, you know, I, you know, I hate it on a number of levels. So, you know, my problem is probably that I, I end up you know, going too far with it, right? I, I could stand to make a little bit more money sometimes by by not. It's but, also but, your it's also your legacy thing, though, because and yeah, at the end of the day, when people know that Casey Fine and rehab the house, they're going to feel confident buying the house, right? It's it, and and you feel good knowing that your work lives on. Yeah, well, and it's just honestly, it's not even a. <laughs> My, my uncle actually was flipping houses 
back in like the late seventies and eighties before it was even kind of a thing, you know, and, um, and his goal in a house was to buy a house, to put in new carpet and have it painted. And that was like, that was, that was what he did. And he made, and and his goal was to never keep a house for more than a month. You know, Mm. he never wanted to make a payment on it. So, um, you know, before he was just buying them outright. So, and he became very, a very wealthy man doing that. Very, very wealthy. And now he's like, he actually has some pretty high standards and he's, I mean, he's, he's much older now. He doesn't really, I mean, kind of does stuff as kind of a hobby and he does some really, he got, he started getting into some high end stuff, but, um, but yeah, like that's, that's not me. Like this last house that I bought. Um, so I bought it at a tax auction, which is, uh, you know, has, been for me the best, you know, avenue of getting homes because there's so much competition when they, when they hit the market. So if you can get them at an auction, they're they're usually quite a bit cheaper. Um, the the one that that's on Hammer, like I ended up, I think I paid like fourteen or fifteen thousand dollars at the auction, and then I had another like four grand that I had to pay in back taxes, and there was a lien on the property that I had to take care of, and you know you got to pay a lawyer to take care of some stuff, so. So altogether, I had like 18 in it. And um, this other, you know, guy that I know when I when I had it done offered me 25 for it, you know, um, and and then like kind of like I'm pretty sure I could have gotten like 30 for it, um, you know, now that that everything was clear on it. And uh, so then that would have been the easiest 10, 12 grand I ever would have made. But I just have no interest in doing that, you know, and there, there actually are people who kind of wholesale like there's a woman who actually comes up from Miami to the tax St. Louis tax auctions. Um, and she buys a bunch of stuff, you know, and, um, and then, but then she just wholesales it. And, and, you know, I mean, I don't have anything against her. That's great. It's just, it's not what I want to do, you know? Yeah. That same uncle gave me the very best advice. I think you can ever have if you, if you want to rehab or, or flip houses or anything is uh, you, you make money on a house when you buy it, not when you sell it. You got to have, it's got to have some, some, some value that you're getting out of it that, you know, when you're buying it, you're buying it under market. There are all kinds of reasons why you can, you know, you can buy a house, you know, well below its, its value. You know, a lot of times it just needs a lot of work and, and then you got to find somebody who, you know, wants to do that work. So that is sound advice. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, getting into a house, it's like, what can I sell it for? You know, what am I going to have to put into it? Um, and living here in St. Louis, so, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, it's an old kind of, I guess we're not really Rust Belt, but old Midwest, you know, the, the population's been kind of stagnant for a long time, but people are moving back into the city. So I live in South City, um, and there are just, you know, all the houses built around here, you know, it's like late 1800s to, to turn of the 20th century, um, and they're just as, I mean, even in, in, in your run of the mill working class neighborhoods that are maybe even still working class neighborhoods, it's just unbelievable craftsmanship in it. And, you know, I mean, there are a lot of things that, that were done wrong. Um, you know, one of them is joists were almost always universally undersized. So you've got a lot of, you know, uh, big dips in your floors. A lot of times that, you know, sometimes you can get them out. Sometimes you can't, um, but, you know, just, really stuff that, you know, this, this walnut uh, handrail that, you know, is, you know, three inches by two inches and, and, you know, has these beautiful hand carved, uh, you know, turns on them and stuff. Uh, 
you know, I don't know what I'd pay, pay for something like that nowadays, but it's just, they're just sitting in the houses everywhere. Um, so, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a playground for me that, um, you know, I still have to make money and there's still, you know, uh, on the North side of St. Louis, St. Louis has a pretty bad, um, you know, racial kind of dividing line. And there's, you know, there's houses up there that are just, I mean, they were like mansions, you know, that, that are just dilapidated and falling apart and, um, you know, it's falling apart and, you know, they, you could, you couldn't sell them for, you know, for anything even all fixed up. Um, but, you know, the, depending on the area, you know, you can, it's a way you can make decent money, you know? And, and so that's, I'll kind of launch into a, <laughs> we kind of talked about this, but. Okay. Today's shout out is a double, just the way it is. Got a lot of people to talk about here. First, I want to congratulate Jay Benton for his new position as lead carpenter at Progressive Ventures. And next, Daniel Robbins, apprentice carpenter at the Old Craft Carpentry. I met these two guys in a hammer meeting, and I want to thank you both for giving me some different perspective from the employees, the potential employees' point of view. You made me really think about how a potential employee might see me as a business owner, and I'm going to translate that into something for the pod for others to learn from. So, so keep doing your best work. Let's go. That's all I got. Later. If you enjoyed the show, learn something or experience affirmation about what you're doing, leave a comment or a review on iTunes, on the podcast app on your phone, or on my website, thecontractinghandbook.com. Wherever you listen, please subscribe to help get the show to more people like you. Remember, the work we leave behind us is our legacy, wherever we are in the world. Find me on Instagram at The Contracting Handbook, where there's always a conversation. Also, if you found value in the content and feel like making a contribution for production, go to my Venmo account, Mike Kenoki one All right, that's all I got. You know, so I don't even really think of myself as a business owner. I, I basically created a job for myself 